Thank you for tuning in to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a church located in Lexington, Kentucky, with a heart for God and a vision for the gospel. I'm Derek Holmes, lead pastor. So grab your Bibles and let's hear from the Word. I'm going to ask you this morning in, in Philippians chapter three. Let's go ahead and just jump right into uh, right into the Word of God this morning, beginning in verse uh, number seven of chapter three. Uh, we read the Word of God, and it says this: "But what things were gained to me, those things I counted for loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord." For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Now, there's some very artistic language that Paul uses. I count all the things, all the accolades that I have in my life, I count them to be basically refuse or uh, dung. And he says in verse number nine, he says, And I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is, not, or which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, which is the only way we can attain righteousness, by the way, that I may know him and that I may know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I may attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind, and I reach forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And then I want to even though it's not on the screen, I want to also add verse number 15 to that this morning too. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, or that word meaning complete or mature in Christ, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if, anything, uh, and, if, and if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this to you. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak to us from your word. I thank you for your word, for without it, where would we be? It is perfect. It is complete. It is what you want us to know of you. Father, you told us in your word that one day we will know as you know. But right now you have given us more than enough for us to chew on in this lifetime and to learn and to be fed by. And I pray this morning that as we get into your word, Holy Spirit, you would help us to rightly divide the word of truth. I pray that you would be the, you would be the teacher, you would be the preacher, that you would speak to our spirits and to our souls. Father, it wouldn't just stop at the head and say, well, that doesn't make sense rationally, because many times faith doesn't do that. I pray, Father, that we would see this for what it is. It is your word. It is truth that sets us free. I pray this morning in this time that you would have our attention. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So you all may not understand, you may have heard about this religion called basketball in Kentucky. You've heard about that. Um, but it really is. It, it runs through our veins. But interestingly enough, in this area and actually throughout the world too, there's another sport or another hobby that's beginning to really rise in popularity, especially among, especially among students. And, and it's really kind of, it's crossing all age boundaries really, and it's archery. All right. Um, we actually, we got a couple of students that are in our youth group that actually are on their archery team at school. And it is really gaining in popularity. Another sport that's gaining in popularity too is lacrosse. But man, that takes, uh, that takes a lot too. But um, the, reason that, uh, the reason that archery, even, even though archery has been around since like the middle ages, I mean, think about like King Arthur days and Robin Hood days. That's when archery became kind of like a competitive sport. But the bow and arrow has been around as a weapon since the ancient days. The Bible even mentions 
archers and a bow and arrow uh, back, from back in the Bible day was a fighting weapon. But then it became kind of a competitive sport around the Middle Ages. And it's gone through popularity and it's gone, it's, it's gone up and down. It's kind of revived because just a few, uh, several, uh, more than a few years ago now, but movies like The Hunger Games and Brave and all of those, it's kind of caused people where the heroes or the heroines in the, in the, sh- in the story ha- are really good with their bow and arrow. And so it's caused people to kind of want to get back into, uh, back into doing that. They say, doctors say it is a relaxing sport. It is something that is good for you, for your focus, for patience. It's good for your uh, finger dexterity and everything. It's also a really good sport. It's become basically the 21st century of what golf used to be for leisure and, and, and things. There's clubs all over the place that you can get involved in. Um, but according to the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, archery is one of the safest sports in the country. It's hard to believe, as long as you keep the arrow pointed at a target, right? Um, it's become one of the safest sports in the country to participate in because it has less injuries than soccer, golf, uh, and baseball and basketball and those types of things. Um, it's one of those sports, it's also inclusive because it's more mental than it really is physical. Just about anyone can train to be a good archer. You just have to be willing to put forth the ep- effort to deepen your focus and to deepen your finesse and to deepen your patience. And some of you are not going to be good archers because I can see you sitting there right now being like, why waste time with a bow and arrow when I can just pull out a sawed-off shotgun and mess something up, man? Just spray the bullets all over the place. That's why God gave us guns, right? So for you, you don't understand the archery. But the truth is, and the truth is, this is a lesson in life. The truth is that there's very few things in life that are best handled with a shotgun approach, with a shoot first and ask questions later approach. In life, most things require focus. They require finesse. They require patience. And especially when we walk with the Lord, it requires focus and it requires patience and it requires faith And it requires all of those things. It requires very little of us and a lot of him. You see, an archer has to be able to trust his bow. An archer has to be able to trust his arrow. And he also has to trust his eyesight. And he has to trust that all of those things will work together. You see, very few things in life, especially in the spiritual realm, can be accomplished by us just using our brute force and muscling through. Because in the spiritual realm and in the spiritual life, when we're walking with Jesus, it requires more of him and less of us. And that's kind of the idea and the lesson behind what Paul is talking about in our, in, in, our, in our text this week. Last week, we looked at, back in the book of 1 Kings, at the, pers- at the prophet Elijah. Elijah had gone through a season in his life where he had come to deep depression. And God brought him out of that. And the only reason God brought him out of that was because even in Elijah's downcast state, he went to the right source. He went to God. He knew that if he was going to have anything restored to him, he would have to go to God. He went to Mount Oreb and he got in the presence of God, which is what we must do. He he re-centered his focus. You see, as a prophet, Elijah had lived his life with his eyes set on the Lord and made it his one pursuit to call others to the same thing. His one focus, his one goal was to magnify God and see God's kingdom and God's will done on earth. Paul is much the same way. But why did Elijah last week, why did Elijah get into the place where he wanted God to just take him off the planet? Why did he get so downcast and so sad and so distraught that he thought that everything was a waste and he asked God just to take him off? There was a lot of, fo- a lot of factors to that, but one of those factors, one of the biggest factors 
was because he lost his focus on God. He began to look at the threats of Jezebel. He began to look at the threats of the prophets of Baal. He began to look at the, what he saw as faithlessness of the people. And he thought, all these things that I'm trying to do, I'm, sh- I'm, I'm aiming and I'm, I'm shooting everywhere. I'm firing off everywhere and nothing is hitting and nothing is landing. So I'm wasting my time. He lost his focus. He had placed his focus on the results and on the move rather than on the one who provided the results and the one who provided the move. So we flip the script a little bit this morning, look over in the New Testament, and we see a man named Paul who's not much different than Elijah. He's not a prophet, but he is an apostle, and he has the same goal. His same goal is to focus on Jesus Christ, to focus in like a flint, and keep his passion on him, and call the world to do the same thing. By the way, that's our goal as believers too. You don't have to be called into the ministry to have this same call on our life. I direct you to Matthew 28. The Great Commission says all of us, are to go and to make disciples. All of us are to have our focus on Jesus, to go out into the world and wherever it may be, school, work, uh, at home, in your neighborhood, wherever it may be, we are called to make disciples. And we will be terrible at doing it if we are not first focused on Jesus Christ ourselves. How can I point someone to Christ if I am not going towards him myself? How can we do that? And I think in a large part, the church today... We're looking at so many other things, thinking that that's going to enhance or be, or be better or be our hope or be our help. But folks, our help is the same as it always was in the book of Acts. It's going to be Jesus Christ, him crucified, him resurrected, him coming again, the Holy Spirit that fills us and empowers us. Everything else becomes those bells and whistles. And if those things become our salvation, we have settled for a false salvation If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, you've been given this great gift of salvation and eternal life. Your life has been redeemed for a purpose, and we have a high calling. Paul said, I press toward the prize, or to the mark of the prize, of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that's the key verse this morning that we're looking at. And we're going to walk through this passage together this morning as we're going to look at three things that we need to focus in on. And all three things point at one thing, and that is Jesus Christ. But we need to come at Jesus from three different angles. And the question this morning is, if you are a Christian, the challenge actually, more than a a question, the challenge this morning is, if you are a believer, if you have been saved, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, consider the fact that you are saved, that you've been given this shiny new arrow as your life. Everything has been made new. Old things have passed away. You've been given the shiny new arrow. And God has promised that if you will let me direct your life, I will make your aim true. I will make your aim right. And that will be used to change the world. My question is, you've got this one life. You don't have a whole holster. holster. You've got one life. What's your aim going to be? Where are you going to aim? Where are you going to focus? What's the goal of your life going to be? And Paul is very clear here what the goal of his life was and the goal of every believer's life should be. The first thing that we see this morning is, if you're following along, if you've got, if you've got your sermon guide out on your, on your bulletin, the first thing is simply to know Christ. To know Christ. Get this and understand, if you, if, you, if you learn better by writing, get this. Never, ever, we must never, ever underestimate the miraculous blessing of being invited to know the God of the universe. Never underestimate that value. The fact that God in heaven, the righteous king 
and ruler of everything, the creator, the giver of life. He is more holy than we can even imagine. He invites us in not only to have a relationship with him, not just to follow him, not just to worship him, but to know him. Jesus said, come and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. He said, come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And while you rest, take my yoke upon you and be trained and, 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 and understand me. Know me. Get this, the God that knows you intimately, inside and out, all your good things, all your flaws, all your warts, everything, still wants you to know him. Still wants you to know him. Because nothing else is of greater value in this life than knowing Jesus Christ. I, I invite you to just sit and think really hard for me. What else is there in life that is of greater value than knowing Jesus Christ? There's a lot of people who say, oh, I mean, I, I, knowing a whole lot of other people, knowing, knowing maybe the president of the United States, knowing uh, a movie star, knowing... Uh, you know, knowing the, the richest guy in the world, that would be greater than knowing Jesus because they could do something for me right here and right now. Folks, Jesus is doing more for you right here and right now than any of them will ever be able to do. The Bible tells us that the very next breath we take is given by God. To know Jesus is the greatest thing that we can do. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, back in our text, and um, I'm reading now from the, the Christian Standard Bible. Paul said that nothing else is of greater value than knowing Jesus. He says this, I also consider everything that I have gained up until now to be a loss in view of the surpassing value. If you have a King James there in your lap and it says excellency, that's, that's what the Hebrew meaning of that word is, is a surpassing value, that there is nothing that is of more value. You hold everything up. Knowing Christ is more valuable than all of it. He says, I, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things, but I consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. Paul said, because of him, I've lost everything. He's sitting in prison as he writes this. He doesn't know if he's going to get out alive. And he's like, I've lost everything, everything for the sake of Jesus. And you know what? I don't regret a bit of it. It's like dung that I just flush down the toilet and never, get a thought, never give another thought of. Now, some of you that were hungry, you're no longer hungry anymore. You're welcome for that, for all that talk about that stuff. But after all of this hard, accomplished life that he had had, after all the things that he could know, all the people that he could know, all the, prestiges, all the prestige and resources that he could gather, it's all worthless compared to knowing Christ. Why? Because the more that we know Christ, the less we begin to regard ourselves. An amazing thing happens when we come and we begin to learn of Christ. We begin to realize that we're not the center of the universe. We begin to realize that the weight of the world doesn't have to rest upon our shoulders. It was never meant to. We begin to regard ourselves a little bit less. You see, what the flesh says is, you must increase and everything else must decrease. So what we do is we hold people at bay. We oppress people. We try to use people. We, we manipulate people. We do all those types of things. But in Christ, what we do is we see that people are not our enemy trying to hurt us. People are, people, people are our goal to try to take the gospel too to give life to them. But you see, what Paul had said is, all these things that I used to do, all these things that I used to count as valuable are nothing compared to Christ. In verse number nine, he says, I want to be found in him. 
I want to gain Christ. I want to know more of Christ, and I want to be found in him. And here's, here's the key, not having a righteousness of my own from the law. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that is based on faith. See, if anybody had a reason to hold up their merits and hold up all of their degrees and their diplomas and their credentials and say, you know what, God, I think you should let me into heaven, it'd be Paul. Paul was just, he was, he was just kind of like above everybody. God is no respecter of persons, but if he was, he would have respected Paul above everybody else. Why? In verse number four, we didn't read that in our text, but go back to there. In verse number four, it says this. He says, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I mean, Paul's like, man, if we want to start laying out credentials, if we want to start laying things out, I'm going to beat you every time. And he says in verse number five, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, which was a Jewish ritual, a Jewish thing that was done for personal holiness in a person's life. He's like, I've done all the religious things. He says, I am of the nation of Israel. He was also of the Roman, of the Roman uh, citizenry as well. He says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm from, the right, I'm from the right stock. He says, I'm a Hebrew that is born of the Hebrews. Regarding the law, I was a Pharisee, man. I knew the law and I did the law. There was no one who did what, was, what seemingly needed to be done for God. Regarding my zeal, I persecuted the church. I tried to end Christianity. So if we want to hold up doing the right things, doing what has always been thought to be the right thing, I'm the man. I'm doing everything right. But then something happened. One day he, got on, he, he, he was on a trip to a place called Damascus, and he met Jesus. And he got to know Jesus, and he was kicked off his horse or his mule or out of his Uber or whatever it was he was, dry, he was, he was taken there to, over to Damascus. And he hears a voice, and he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? All those credentials all of a sudden didn't matter anymore because he got to know Jesus Christ. Nothing else mattered to him at that point. He finally met Jesus. All those other things that he was holding on to, all those other things that he was hoping in, all those good things that he thought he had done, running with the right crowd, being from the right stock, none of it mattered in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of time, and in our society today, and in the world we live, we see a lot of injustice and we see a lot of inequality that takes place and a lot of people are angry about that. But can I remind you, there is one place, there is one place where we are all equal. And that is at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how much education. It doesn't matter whether you're man, woman, boy, girl. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, yellow. It doesn't matter what you are. At the foot of the cross, we are all equal in Jesus' eyes. The more that we know Christ, the more we want to know about Christ too. Paul had everything going for him, but Jesus changed it all. Nothing else matters. Suddenly all the things that Paul held on to as his credentials for righteousness were replaced by what verse number nine says. I now want righteousness from God that is based on the faith of Jesus. So the challenge this morning is if you're here and you're holding on to, say, yeah, I, I, I was saved when I was a kid, but man, what really made me a good Christian was the fact that I've read through my Bible like 10 times and I've got perfect, I had perfect attendance to Sunday school and I do all the right things. Folks, that's wonderful that we're doing the right things, but God is mostly concerned with why we're doing those right things. Because if we're just doing them so that we can be like, Paul, hey, you guys want to sit down and talk about what we've done lately? Because I'm going to beat you. It's not where we're supposed to be. The best thing in life and the best thing in, in, for your Christian existence is to know Jesus, to know him. 
And while doing some of those things that we sometimes prop up, and we say, hey, do these things because that's what a good Christian does. While some of those things will draw us to a deeper understanding of Christ, not all of them will. Sometimes, if we don't do it with the right heart, it will draw us away from an understanding of Christ and more of a, of a, of a holding up of ourselves. Because I've done this and this makes me holy. What makes me holy is drawing close to Christ. Because the more we know Christ, an amazing thing happens the more we want to know Christ. Paul says he has this new goal. So I used to chase after all the stuff. Now I want Jesus and I want more of him. In verse number 10, he says, my goal is to know him. And now I want to know the power of his resurrection. I don't just want to know him for salvation. I want to know what it's like to walk with him daily, to understand his power in my life today. And the resurrection gives us that power, knowing that we are forever saved and forever alive in him seeing that power on display in our life. And he says this as well. He says, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I don't just want to know the good things about Jesus. I want to know everything. I'm all in is what Paul is saying. I'm all in with him. It's because the more we come to know Christ, the more we want to know. It's not just enough to know that he's my savior and will take me to heaven. I now want to know him as my Lord. I want him to walk with me every day. I want to walk with him every day. I want that relationship with him that goes further than a Sunday morning. I want a Monday through Saturday type of relationship with him. This is what Paul said. He says, it was more than just going through the motions. I want to know him inside and out. And then he said, I want to be conformed to his death. Here's a question that we have to wrestle with, given this challenge. How well do we know Christ? There's some here who don't know him as Savior. If you're here this morning, you don't know Christ as your Savior. The challenge from the Word of God and the, the call to your heart today is come to know him. Trust in him as your Savior. You will never be spiritually whole until you know him as your Savior. He's calling out to you, but if you know him as your Savior, the question is, how well do you know him? Some of you know him as Savior, but some of you uh, only know him in order to spend eternity in heaven. There are some who only know him as Savior and they're thrilled to death about knowing him no more than that. That's it. Yeah, I know him. I got saved back when, you know, such and such happened. And so I'm saved and I'm good for heaven and that's wonderful. But salvation is so much more than just knowing that you're going to heaven. Being a child of God is being daily in relationship with the God of this universe. This past week, I came across a quote from Pastor Tim Keller, and he says this. He says, you don't go to Jesus just because he's useful. You go to Jesus because he's beautiful. And there is nothing more useful than finding Jesus beautiful. See, a, a lot of people today are like this. Your relationship with Christ is based only on the fact that one day you heard someone tell you that if you would trust Christ as Savior, you would go, he would take you to heaven when you die. And that's the truth, and that is wonderful, and that is a miracle of the gospel. But if that's the extent of your knowledge of the Savior, you have only found him useful. If your relationship with the Savior is only, I believe he's going to take me to heaven when I die, you have only found Jesus useful for your eternity. You have not found him beautiful for your present. It's when you go further with him that you find that he is beautiful, that he walks with you, that he will be the friend that sticks closer than a brother, and that everything he takes you through, he never goes to the other side and says, I'll be there when you get out. He's with you, carrying you through as well. He satisfies not only your fear of eternity and your need for knowing what that's going to bring, but he satisfies your heart and soul right now at this very moment. 
And if all you're looking to Jesus for is what's to come tomorrow, you're missing out on the beauty of him today. That's where it comes through with relationships. So how well do you know him? Because the more you know him, the more you want to know of him. Now, the, the, the next two points are probably only going to take about as long as the point number one together. The second thing that we move into, Paul not only said, I want to know Christ, but now I want to be like Christ. Because if Jesus is beautiful, you want to be like that. If I know someone so amazing, I want to imitate that. The greatest form of flattery is imitation, right? The greatest form of flattery is imitation. I remember a couple of years ago, we had a trunk retreat, and there was this, there was this kid that was in our youth ministry, and he came, to, he came to the trunk retreat dressed as Pastor Derek. Hair was spiked up, man. He was, he'd never looked better in his life, by the way, ever in his life. He had the little microphone that he had made out of foil and everything. I mean, he's dressed. I'm like, dude, that is the greatest form of flattery. Everybody else is laughing, thinking it was a hilarious joke. I'm like, dude, that's the greatest compliment you could ever pay me. I have turned into a Halloween costume. That is awesome. All right. No, I'm sorry, not a Halloween, a trunk or tree costume. That's more, that's more holy, right? All right. So, so the greatest way that we can honor our Savior is to try to imitate him and to be like him. Matter of fact, that's a command that we're told to do as followers of Christ. Look at verse number 10. Again, he says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And then he says, I want to be conformed to his death. Paul's desire, that word right there, conformed, means I want to be shaped and I want to be molded to Christ. And notice that he doesn't mention all the good things. He mentions some of the hard things. He mentions suffering and he mentions death. And this is where a lot of us struggle with. Christ, I'm going to follow you all the way to the gates of heaven, but please don't put any bumps along the way. We forget that the road that Christ had to pave for us required a cross and a tomb. He promised us in the Beatitudes, didn't he? He said, if you follow me, you're going to suffer persecution. You follow me, there's going to be bad days. What we often do is we think, hold on, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm suffering, I must have done something wrong. God must be mad at me. No, God is working in you and working through those circumstances to mold you and make you and conform you to his image. See, back when the, the term Christian was first coined, it was used to describe the people who were so consumed and so focused on being like Jesus and the unbelieving world thought it was laughable. They're like, look at all these people, man. They have just completely sold out to Jesus and his message, which makes no sense whatsoever. You think it doesn't make sense now in today's world? It really didn't make sense back then, especially in the, world, in, in the Gentile world where paganism was so, was so just, just consuming and in, the, and in the Jewish world where legalism was so huge. It really didn't make sense then. Some people talk today about how hard it is to be a Christian in in 21st century America, and it's, it's difficult, it's changing, but we still have some echoes of the Judeo-Christian ethic and the Judeo-Christian world that, that, doesn't, that doesn't look, people don't look at and say, man, that's insane. Everything about following Christ looked to be insane to people in those days. And what Paul said was, it's the essence of your Christian existence to imitate Christ. They were so consumed and they thought it was hilarious. And so Christian was a word that was just an insult. And they said, look at those people who've traded their identity for the identity of Christ. It's like they love him so much that they're trying to be just like him. They've abandoned everything else for him. And here's what I fear today is that when the unbelieving world looks at Christians today, they look at us just running around trying to find any way and every way to say, hey, we're not crazy. We're not, we're not nuts. 
And we begin to compromise our faith, and we begin to compromise the, the purity of the gospel. So people don't think we're crazy. But folks, we're not trying to call people to a Savior who's just a little bit better than bad. We're trying to call people to a Savior who's altogether different and brings us from death to life. It's altogether opposite from what we know. We will stand out. And I fear that when the unbelieving world today looks at Christians, they see people who are more intent on conforming Jesus to their own image rather than being conformed to his. I'm more content to conform Jesus to my agenda, my desires, my preferences, my political ideology, my traditions than I am being conformed to the image of my Savior. See, this is where only finding Jesus useful will lead. If we only find Jesus useful, then we'll never have the attitude of Paul when he said he wanted to be in fellowship with Christ even so much that he was in fellowship with the sufferings of Christ and to be conformed to his death. I find it interesting that he says being conformed to his death. You know why? Because to follow Christ is a call to die. It's a call to die to ourselves. This is why Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must take up your, help me out, take up your cross. Now, a cross is not necessarily a comfortable device. It's a device of execution. So when Jesus said, take up your cross, take up your execution device, he is saying, you must lay down your life in order to follow me. You got to die to self. You got to die to your own ambitions. You got to die to your stuff. You got to die to everything that you once knew and follow me. Because I walked in this world and they killed me. You follow me, that's where it's going to lead. Not saying that every one of us are going to physically die for our faith. It may happen. We don't know. But the decision to follow Christ is a decision to die to self. It's a die, it's, it's to die to everything that my flesh screams out for so that my soul can be nurtured in him. See, this is the true meaning of what it means to be a disciple. Paul also writing in the church at Galatia over in Galatians 4.19 when he was talking to the, those believers, he said this, he says, my children, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. And this is what making disciples will lead to as well. It won't be easy. Many times what we do is we, we sit around, and this is happening in churches all over our country, wondering why attendance is declining, why churches aren't growing like they used to. And we say, why won't people just come to church anymore? Because a lot of times I think it's because we as the church are not willing to pay the price so that Christ can be formed in them. We're not willing to look at the gospel and say, what do you want of me to take it to those who need it so desperately? That's a whole message in and of itself, so I'm just going to let that one hang there right now. We see that, G that Paul did fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. He labored. He was in pain. He, he, was, he was beaten and bruised and pr imprisoned for the gospel of Christ. Why? And here's the purpose in Galatians. He says, so Christ could be formed in you. Not so that I could write books about it. Not so that people could talk about me 2,000 years later so that others can know Christ and continue to talk about him. See, the grand pursuit of life is to know Jesus. The grand pursuit of those who know Christ is to be like him. Because to be, and another thing about being like him, it means that we have to let go of who we are. To be like Christ means to let go of who we are. Look at verse number 13. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. I forget what is behind, and I reach forward to what is ahead. Paul said that if I'm ever going to be like Christ, i got to let go of Paul. 
If I'm ever going to be like Jesus, i got to let go of Paul. And I've also got to let go of the regret that I have in my life too. Paul was a guy who had a lot of accolades, but Paul was a guy who did a lot of things that once he saw things the way Jesus saw them, he had a lot of regret too. A man who had spent his adult life trying to kill believers, all of a sudden becomes a missionary, that guy's going to be filled with a lot of regret. And he struggled with that, and Satan tried to use that against him time and time and time and time again. And every one of us, no matter how close we ever get to Christ, Satan will always use our past to try to bring us down. But being conformed to the image of Christ means in the grace of God letting go of that past regret. Letting go of that, that past regret and that past shame. For some of you, this is the word that you need today. Because for many of you, to walk in victory means you've just got to let go of the lie that Satan's been telling you that, that what you did, what you've done, that's already under the blood of Christ is still holding you back. Listen, if it's under the blood of Christ, it has released you. No longer to hold you. We are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. You see, Satan wants us to live in our shame and regret thinking that God can't or doesn't want to use us anymore because we're damaged goods. See, the thing is, we're all damaged goods. But the grace of God means that he looks at us and says, you're still goods in my eyes. You're redeemable goods. You're goods that I'm going to pick up and I'm going to make new and I'm going to put back together as a trophy of my grace. He redeems us and he forms us in his image, redeeming his purpose in us so that we may bring glory to him and others may come to know him too. And lastly this morning, the third thing is that Christ is it is it. Paul wanted to be all that Christ intended for him to be. The only way that we will ever be what God intended for us to be is to first know him, to be formed in his image. And then what he says in verse number 14, he says, I pursue now as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. See, God had a purpose for Paul. And aren't you glad that Paul surrendered to that purpose? We are who we are in a large part. Because Paul surrendered to that. Look what God used Paul to do. The first missionary wrote 75% of the New Testament that we look at and read and find our faith in. By the inspiration of God, of course, God used him, but he submitted to the Lord's authority. Paul said, I will allow you, God, to form me and make me and mold me into what you intend me to be. And he required saying, I no longer need to be Paul I just need to be God's. You see, being a Christian gives us a hope for eternity, but being a Christian also gives us a purpose for the present. And the question this morning is, what is God's intention for you? He died so that God's intended purpose in creating us could be reclaimed. Paul realized that his purpose was far greater than what his lineage had provided. It was far greater than what his education or, his, or, being, or being right in people's eyes. Being a good little Pharisee didn't get him to heaven. Paul's purpose was to know and glorify God. The question this morning is, where is your aim today? Where is your target? So a lot of us are out there with that shotgun approach. We're looking all over the place for things that will make us happy. As we get ready to close out, it's my last question. We're looking all over for things that will make us happy. We live in a day and age where anxiety and depression and all those things are just at epic, at epic places. And I'm not saying that medicine is not, is not used. 
it's not useful. God has allowed for those things to take place. There's a physical side to those things too. But there's also a spiritual side. Paul, or, or David said, why are you downcast, O my soul? He felt it in his very soul. One of the reasons for that is we can lose our focus. And we begin looking all over the place saying, this will help, this will help, that'll do it, this will do it. Folks, the only thing that will satisfy a weary soul is Jesus. All that thrills our soul is Jesus. There is nothing else. Say, that's just too simplistic, man. We, we, we're living in 2020, man. There's so many different things. Yes, but it's always been the same thing. It's been Jesus. And it will always be Jesus. So the question is, what is it you've been aiming at? Have you been living with a shotgun mentality? Say, okay, yeah, I, I'm trusting in Jesus, but I'm also, also got to do this, 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 this. It'll wear you the plum out. What we need is Jesus. And when we let go of all those other things and we put all of that energy that we've been tethering ourselves to over there and put it into Christ, man, it would be amazing what God will do. Do you know him? Are you being like him? And are you sold out to being everything that he intended you to be? If we could bow our heads and close our eyes for just one moment this morning. There's two types of people in this room. There's those who need Christ. And there's those who need to be like him. If you're here this morning, you don't know Christ as your savior. You need him. There is nothing else that will save you. There is nothing else that will bring you, your soul, to peace and satisfaction. If you don't know Christ as your savior, come today and learn of him. If you're here this morning, say, I'm saved, but man, I just, just some things in my life that I'm just, I realize aren't right. And I've been trusting in those things and I've been looking at those things and, and, and they're pretty and they're flashy, but man, nothing is as beautiful as Jesus. All I've really been doing, to be honest with you, preacher, is I've just been finding him useful. I, my relationship with God is only based on what he can do for me. That's an incomplete relationship with him. And until you come to a position where you need him and want him to use you as much as you want him to do things for you, you're gonna have an incomplete relationship with him. For some of you today, you may as well say, you know what, I just need to stop using Jesus as a useful tool and start realizing that he is the most beautiful thing in my life and I can't break away from him, not even for one moment. You may be here today and you're like, I think I'm good. But to be honest, you're measuring good by I'm doing all the things that I know make me a good person. The only thing that will bring us to righteousness, as Paul said, is more of Jesus, more of him. So that's the question this morning. Are you saved? If you're not, come to him today. If you're saved, are you being conformed to his image? Have you, sac have you, give have you died to self to conform to his image? There's something you're holding out, holding back. Give it to him. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. Maybe it's a They've been visiting for a while and say, man, I need to just be, I need to be all in with the church where I can serve him. Maybe you need to talk about, hey, what does it take to become a member here at Graceway? Or what does it take for me to get involved in a ministry? I'm tired of just attending services. I want to get involved. I want to serve him. What step can you take to respond to what God has given us today? Heavenly Father, have your way in this invitation now and do as you see fit as we respond to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.